0: This podcast is brought to you by the UCL Institute of Orthopaedics and Musculoskeletal Science. My name is Alistair Hart. I am the Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery at University College London and the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital. I spend 50% of my time treating patients using hip and knee replacements and 50% of my time researching ways to improve the performance of those hip and knee replacements.
1: And and so you're a clinical academic?
0: Yes and what I think is important for clinical academics and seems to help me is the patients that I am generally referred are patients that I treat but also become part of my research that enables me to investigate implants in an appropriate clinical context and then feed that back to a future patients that might then benefit from that knowledge. So the research work is contributing to the clinical work and vice versa.
1: So quite practically, what's the difference between being a full-blown clinical academic and a regular consultant that just has an interest in research?
0: The main difference is that the university will pay for academic sessions to enable time to be spent in a normal working week on research. The university will want something back in return, and the main output from a researcher is publications in journals
1: Let's talk about some of that research that you've been involved in. You set up the London Implant Retrieval Centre. Tell us about that.
0: Uh, There are one and a half million patients in the world with a type of hip replacement called metal-on-metal, where the two surfaces made of cobalt and chromium rub against each other and generate metal nanoparticles. Unfortunately, uh, despite laboratory testing, we didn't realize that some of these patients were going to react severely. The rate of reaction is dependent on the implant design, the surgical position, and then some patient factors. The patient factors we don't completely understand, but for example, twice as many women fail with these types of devices compared to men. We don't understand that.
1: Right, and so this London Implant Retrieval Centre collects all these replacement components and you try and work out what went wrong with them?
0: Yes, we've collected 1,500 metal-on-metal hip implants from 19 different countries. 152 consultant orthopaedic surgeons from the UK contribute to the centre from 97 hospitals in the UK.
1: Right, so you're looking specifically at these metal-on-metal. Has it not always been metal-on-metal then?
0: Uh, metal metal began uh, many years ago but um, was never used in large numbers until the early part of of this century so uh, 2000 2001 2002 then um, other manufacturers copied uh, the design and they then also fitted a stem to the bearing surfaces and They became very widely used in fact in 2006 in the United States a third of all hip replacements were metal on metal then uh, and this year at the British Hip Society in February 2012 we decided to uh, recommend not using any type of metal on metal hip if it was fitted to a stem why is that because the metal generated from the bearing surfaces between the head and the cup and between the head and the stem create tissue responses in some patients that cause destruction of bone and muscle.
1: So when you say the the metal generated, we're talking about wear particles here, are we, from where it rubs?
0: We're talking about nanoparticles generated during the normal process of, of wear and the rate of wear... Uh, we now realize is dependent on those factors I mentioned earlier, design, surgical positioning, and patient factors. And we find that in humans, the rate of wear can be much greater than we anticipated from laboratory studies. In addition, there's a further source of material, and that is from junctions between uh, the stem and the head uh, that, that generate further debris
1: Now, most orthopaedics are probably used to looking at big things like bones. Nanoparticles are tiny. How do you go about studying their effects?
0: The effects of these nanoparticles are evident clinically. When patients describe pain, sometimes they manifest themselves as lumps around the hip as a result of inflammation. We can see the effects of the particles on MRI scans by the presence of fluid and inflammatory masses surrounding the hip we can then uh, look more closely at the histopathology and the reaction of the cells to the nanoparticles but we have to use much higher resolution equipment if we actually want to see the nanoparticles it is impossible to see them through light microscopy one of the techniques that i use is the diamond light source, which is the UK's synchrotron facility. A synchrotron is a particle accelerator that produces a very uh, powerful and fine beam of x-rays. And x-rays can be made to probe atomic level detail. And we use that to tell us the type of metal in the cells of tissue taken from patients with painful metal metal hips
1: surely you didn't think that you'd end up siphoning off x-rays from a synchrotron as a as a you know fledgling orthopod
0: Uh, that's that's exactly right um it's a complete surprise to me that i find myself going to a major science institution that is full of uh, physicists and chemists um, many buttons that I'm not allowed to touch, x-rays and very expensive uh, technology that I uh, never envisaged I would I would have a use for, let alone see uh, when I started out in orthopaedics.
1: And, and you mentioned earlier there as well that one of the symptoms of something going wrong is this inflammation. Would you say that orthopods need to be more involved in, in immunology?
0: Uh, I think we have to be careful uh, stepping out of of our field. I think involving other disciplines is a very uh, fertile way to, to improve, but that doesn't mean to say we have to become an expert in those disciplines. When we talk about translational research, often we talk about translating research from the bench to the bedside, but we are also Talking about translating research across disciplines, so learning the language of each discipline is very useful.
1: How early on in your career do you have to make the decision to be a clinical academic?
0: I, I think that that's a very good question. Traditionally. Academics would have a higher degree that they would have started or even completed at some time during their basic or higher surgical training. In other words, these are people that they've already done a medical school degree, they've already started working in junior hospital jobs. They find themselves interested in clinical research and they take some time out of their training to do a research degree. That means that by the time they apply to be a consultant, they can apply to posts that have some of the sessions as consultant working as a researcher. So a research degree is fundamental and that that is undertaken at some point during training. This podcast is brought to you by the UCL Institute of Orthopaedics and Musculoskeletal Science.